You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Thank you, Pastor Bruce. I wasn't going to start with a joke, but since you said that I got some good humor, I thought, well, I'll try it. You know all this rain that we have? Obviously, this is the most, the rainiest season I can ever remember of my life. But I believe it's evidence of the end times. Because the Bible says that in the days, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man returns. I shouldn't have, stu- I shouldn't have done it. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me that Pastor Ben is away. And it brings back a story or part of history that only a few old people like me might remember, and you'll have to help me out as I stumble through remembering this. I think it may have been when President Reagan was shot, and the Vice President George Bush Sr. was away, and was it Alexander Haig, was he the Secretary of State who was in the White House and he got on the press in front of all the media and said, don't worry about everything, I've got it all under control. I'm in control here. Boy, did he ever take some heat for that because he stepped out of his boundaries. He wasn't really in control. Neither am I or Bruce. It's really God that's in control of it today. But I do want to take advantage of the fact that Pastor Ben is gone and do something a little different. He is watching on Facebook. I think he's probably watching on the second service, so let's, let's see if we can do this. It's not really a big deal. When Pam and I, my wife Pam, when we first came to the Assemblies of God, we left a denomination that was not so exuberant, hands raising, all that kind of thing, and we stepped into a service where people had their hands up, they were very free to worship, we heard lots of amens. Our friend who brought us there, his name was Dan, and some of you will probably know him. Dan Dan had a loud voice, and he was very open about his faith. And you always knew that Dan was around in the service because he would respond so often with his loud, hearty amen. Now, in our services lately, we seem to be a little bit more sedate. And this being the early service, eh, it takes a little bit to get going. We're also the 4th of July weekend. Maybe the numbers are down. I want to ask you all to be free to respond with an amen when you feel so moved. Thank you. Because those amens sometimes validate a, pre, a, a, a sermon, help us know we're on track. It also energizes and engages those who are new believers. And one last thing, if you can't speak out among friends, you're not likely to speak out when you're out there in the world. Amen? Thank you. Being the 4th of July, I wanted to do a little patriotic theme to begin with. Our family was coming back from up north a few days ago We came through the little town of Grant, Michigan. And for as long as I can remember, there has been a a sign on the 
outskirts of that town. Big sign with an American flag with a church on it. On the bottom it says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Psalm 33. Every time I go by that sign, I wonder what it would be like if every town in America had a sign like that. Years ago, there was a comedian named Red Skelton. Probably don't remember unless you're my age or older. As I recall, wasn't really very funny, wasn't very polished, but he had a variety show that was very interesting, fun to watch, and at the end, he would always say, God bless. I was encouraged by that as a, as a boy. One particular episode, whatever you call that, he ended it in a different way. He talked about the Pledge of Allegiance. I don't know the exact story. You can go on YouTube and watch it. Something to the effect that this was probably back in the 40s, early 50s. Kids were in high school talking bad about patriotism and the country, mocking the Pledge of Allegiance. One of the teachers heard it, corrected him, told him how important the pledge is, the sacrifices that were made to keep our freedoms. And he walked them through the pledge word by word. Red Skelton did the same thing. <clears throat> he began by saying, I, the only one responsible for my own actions, pledge, make a promise, a solemn oath, a vow, allegiance, alignment with a cause or an idea, to the flag, this cloth representation of our nation, or for us, our belief. United, joined together in a common bond. States, individual sovereign territories. America, this land we call home. And to the Republic, a government whose real power lies in its people, for which it stands, to stand, to rise and be counted, to hold one's ground. One nation, a federation of people of common history, culture, or belief, under God, the supreme source of moral authority. Indivisible, impossible to separate with liberty, freedom from oppression and persecution justice to be treated fairly and with respect for all, for you, for me, our family, our friends, our neighbors, and anyone who calls this nation home and is willing to sacrifice to keep it. God, you truly have blessed this nation, and we ask that you continue to bless it. We also ask that you forgive us of our failures and our sins, both for the country and our, as individuals. But you've blessed us beyond all measure from our resources, the natural beauty that we have, our farms, our military. We ask that you bless our leadership and the people of this nation. Once again, bind us together, Lord, and help us to rise up and send out 
people to do the work of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. One of my favorite scriptures is Psalm 91. And it begins by saying, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall rest beneath the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Today, trust is the word that I want to focus on. Trust can be defined as a belief in the character, truth, ability, strength of someone or something. Belief in the character, truth, ability, strength of someone or something. We often interchange, we interchange that word with the word faith, which defined as firm belief even in the absence of proof. The Apostle Paul puts it so eloquently, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And when I was putting this together, I had to stop and think about this. The scriptures are words written by men inspired by God. Those who don't believe would contest that. Some who do believe may be even contest that a bit. But when I read those words, so eloquently, so concise, and so many other things from Scripture that are written so well that even just a few words can be the source of a sermon, that literature in the centuries that have passed cannot compare with those writings and then I think much of it was written by a tent maker and fisherman. No offense to my fishing friends in the room, but most of the fishermen I know, eloquence is not high on their list of virtues. Storytelling is, yes, but not eloquence. That to me, though, is verification. God breathed the words. Some weeks ago, probably a few months ago now, I was called up to the office to talk with my boss and a few others. I work in a manufacturing setting. I was informed that we had recently shipped out in the millions of flawed parts. They were already in the factories across the continent and across the world, actually, in three different continents, ready to be assembled, and they couldn't use them. It takes about three months to get them through the process and over there. This was a bad, bad, uh, bad situation. We are mystified as to how all these parts got out through our safety checks, because we have many of them. It's just like we don't know how this could have happened. So on the way back to my office, being rather distraught, I took a shortcut, actually a long cut, and I went out in the parking lot and I sat down on one of those posts along the parking lot. It was one of those rare mornings <clears throat> where it was warm, the sun was coming up over the building next door, coming down, shining on the ground, and something caught my eye. 
bright, shiny object. And I reached down and I picked it up. It was a penny. Not quite this big. But it was a bright, shiny penny. And I immediately took out my phone, snapped a picture of it because I knew I wanted to remember this. This was a God moment. Because I read the inscription that's still on our coins, a inscription that you all know, those four words, in God we trust. And I thought for a moment, do we? Do I? Then I recounted my situation because I'm one of the first departments that makes those parts. And I thought, there's nothing we could have done different. We have so many safety checks, we, we just couldn't have done anything different. And at this point, it's too late. We can't fix the problem. I can't fix the problem. And therefore, worrying about it is pointless and is not part of the equation. I said to God, I'm putting this in your hands, Lord. And I am trusting you that whatever happens from this day forward, from this issue, it will be for good. I am truly trusting that you will work all things together for good. And I also understood that that good might not be something that's happy or profitable. It could be something bad in my life. But I've been through enough of these situations to know that even the bad that happens, when I look back, I see that God worked good. And I left it with him. The Bible is, I like this word, replete. I think it means very complete, but I like to say it means repeatedly complete. Complete again and again and again with stories of people who trusted God. Some of them trusted God and they were rewarded greatly. Others trusted God, lost, and then were restored. And then there were some who trusted God and paid the ultimate price and died. But I believe that all of them would do it again. The first person I'd like to illustrate here, and I have three of them. The first person is Abraham. In Genesis 22, Abraham is tested. Now, he has already come through receiving the promise that his seed, his son would be the child of promise, and that his seed would be as much of the sands of the seas and the stars of the sky. But he's getting pretty old. He's starting to wonder, how is this going to happen? Maybe i got to do something. So he goes to his handmaiden, and he has a child, Ishmael, thinking that he would push the process along. God said, no, that's not the way it goes. Ishmael is not the child of promise. At the age of 100, Abraham 
becomes a father to that son of promise. Sarah has a boy named Isaac. He's 100 years old now. All that promise is going to come from this son. And then what happens? God says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your only son to me as a burnt offering. Wow. But he trusts God. He takes his son and a few of his servants, and they travel to the mountains of Moriah. And at the base of the mountains, he says to his servants, wait here as we go up and worship for a time, and the lad and I will return to you. Abraham already had faith that God was going to restore that son. So he straps the wood onto the back of Isaac. Isaac's going to carry the sacrifice up. And I like to stop right there because if you're like me, most of my life I've heard these stories in Sunday school or read them. I always pictured Isaac as being this little toddler this little innocent babe that was picked up and put on the fire and, you know. The Bible doesn't tell us his age, but it gives us some clues, some subtle clues. First of all, they had to travel about 50 miles to get to these mountains. Not likely that he was a little toddler. And then Isaac, the son, had to carry the wood for the fire up the mountain. He had to be a pretty good-sized kid or a young man because it takes an immense amount of wood to burn a body. Not that I know from experience. Although my wife will tell you I can char some hamburgers real quick. In fact, a little sidebar here. I thought bacon was always... Everyone loves bacon. Bacon is so good. And everything grilled seems to be so good. I thought, I'm going to grill bacon. So I bought, I think I had two pounds. doesn't matter. It's like, it's like uh, sterno fuel. So I lined all these bacon strips on there, put the lid down, lit the fire. And I thought, well, usually it takes 15 minutes or so. I got some free time. I walked into the garage, and I'm doing some stuff. And I thought, well, I better go check the bay. Whoa. It was like one of those old coal-fired steam engines from the, from the cowboy shows, just billowing black smoke. So then, in a moment of genius, I go open the lid. Just like one of those rockets taken off from Cape Canaveral. That was insane. So Pam came out with a fire extinguisher, and all that white dust was all over it. Even, I think, the aluminum foil was vaporized. It was actually it was pretty cool, but not recommended. Lost focus there. Back to the story of Abraham and Isaac. The point being, Isaac was probably a young man who could defend for himself, and his father Abraham being 100 years old, he probably could have stopped him from doing what he was going to do with the sacrifice, which tells us that Isaac was a willing sacrifice. And there are other similarities, just like the Son of God would carry his own wood to a very similar, perhaps even the same hill, we don't know, many years, ago, many years later. 
willingly. We know how the story ends. Isaac is on the wood. Abraham raises the knife, and God says, stop, Abraham. And he finds a ram tied up in the thicket. Abraham was tested. He trusted, and he was rewarded. I'll say posthumously because after his death and to this day, the Jewish people have populated everywhere. Not only that, even Ishmael's children have become the Middle East nations, and they are truly blessed as well because they sit on top of all the oil. The next one I want to talk about is Job. I think we're all familiar with the story of Job, and we can perhaps relate with Job. Job was a godly, blameless man, very wealthy. And when you read the book of Job, it's pretty amazing. I'm sure there's a lot of sermons and stories that could be talked about in the book of Job. One of the things it does is it gives us a little insight into what Satan is able to do and cannot do. It also gives us some insight as to the conversation between God and satanic forces. Because apparently, Satan was allowed to go into God and have a conversation with him. And God said, have you ever considered my servant Job? And Satan says, Job obeys you and he loves you and follows you because you give him everything he wants. You're easy on him. But if you tighten things down, he'll deny you. So God says, have at it. He places limitations on there, but he says to Satan, go ahead. You can oppress Job. Now what happens is in one day, calamity strikes. Job's entire family except for his wife are wiped out. All of his sons and daughters are wiped out. All of his servants are wiped out. All of his possessions are wiped out, gone. He has nothing left. And he responds by saying, naked I came into this world and naked I shall leave. All that I have is of the Lord. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Praise be to God. When my 401 takes a dip, I can't respond that way. What a lesson. Now it doesn't end there. Satan now attacks his body and covers him with these sores from head to tail, head to toe, sorry, no tail. Now he's truly suffering, painfully so, and he still sits there and he takes it. If it couldn't get worse, it does. He has these three lousy friends that show up, and they say to him, Job, what did you do that was so awful to receive this kind of punishment? And Job is saying, I haven't done anything. I've been blameless. Then they say, what did your kids do to bring on their calamity? They must have done something awful. And Job is still sitting there trusting God. And then they say, you know, Job, you probably should deserve even worse than you're getting for whatever this was that you did. And now Job starts to wonder, and he's praying to God, why are the wicked blessed and the righteous suffer? And he starts to ask God for an explanation. And God shows up. 
And he starts to talk with Job and tell him of his own majesty and that Job could never begin to understand his ways. And Job sits there with his jaw agape as he is in awe of God. He asks God to forgive his, his complaining. He asks God to forgive his friends. And Job is restored many times more than what he was before he suffered. Job suffered, he trusted. He wavered a little bit and doubted, and then he trusted again, and God restored him. The final person I'd like to talk to, talk about, this man has no name. He has a title, though. The title is the malefactor. What a, what a title. He's one of the criminals that was crucified next to Jesus. When Jesus was hung on that cross, there were two criminals that were brought in. We, I think they were called thieves, but the indication is they were much greater than just thieves. And they were hung on the cross with him as the crowd jeered and mocked and spit on Jesus. They did as well. I'm not sure that I would put the time and effort into mocking someone when I'm going through crucifixion, so I don't quite understand that. But they joined with the crowd. Then one of the men said, if you are this king you say you are, take yourself down off the cross and us as well. The other one had a moment of understanding now. And he said, do you not fear God we are guilty. We are getting the punishment we deserve, but this man is innocent. And then he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you shall be with me in paradise. This man was being punished for his crime. At the last minute, he trusted this man that he believed to be God, and he was redeemed. Where do you find yourself amongst these three? Can you relate with any of them? Maybe all of them to a point. If you can relate with Abraham, you are one of those which I will say a seasoned Christian. You've been through some stuff You've suffered physically, you've suffered mentally, maybe spiritually, maybe with your finances, and you've come through it time and time again. And when you look back, you can see God's hand in all of this. And now, when suffering comes, you can be like Abraham. You know that whatever the outcome, God has a plan, and you are part of it. Or do you relate more with Job? You've been through suffering. Maybe you trust once in a while and you fall away. You're in some suffering right now. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's relational. And you're again wondering, why is God doing this to me? 
your, your trust has fallen away. I find myself right between Abraham and Job, but leaning much farther towards Job. Or do you find yourself relating with those thieves on the cross? And if so, my question is, on what side of Jesus are you? Are you over here with the scoffers? Maybe not so much mocking, but you just don't believe this man is who he said he was. Maybe you believe he, ex he historically existed, but no, he doesn't. He's not who he says he is, and he cannot do what he says he can do. Or do you find yourself with this man who is now beginning to see something different in this, this Jesus who claims to be the Son of God? And you're wondering if maybe he is. Maybe he can save me. Maybe he can change me. Maybe he can use me. Wherever you are in this, I want to share with you some steps. When I sat there with that penny, there were immediately some things that went through my mind, and after I had settled with it, I reviewed it a few times. And I came up with these four steps that I found myself walking through. And then after I wrote those steps down, I found they were very similar to the steps of coming to salvation as well. But these steps to trusting God, first of all, know the problem. Knowing the problem is more than just knowing what it is, but knowing the root cause. Why am I in this situation? Is there something that I have done or I am doing that I need to stop doing or I need to go back and correct? Is there per perhaps a sin in my life that I have not dealt with? And then ask God to bring that to the surface and deal with it. Or perhaps there is nothing that you have done or could have done to prevent this or to change it. It is what it is. Know the problem. Second, admit that it's beyond your control. For me, it was easy because we already have all those safeguards in place. It's still a mystery how this all happened. It was beyond my control. And step three is believe that God can take your burden and hand it to him and trust that whatever the outcome, it's his plan and he will work it together for good. And that, then accept that he is in control. 
I put that penny in my pocket and I walked away that day. And I only a few times revisited that situation. And I've, had, I've been at total peace with it ever since. Now those steps are very similar to the steps to coming to the Lord. First, we not, need to understand our sinfulness. That's the problem. For Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then we need to repent of that sin. In Acts 3.19, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Then we need to believe that God is. That he is. And he is who he says he is. And that he can save us and change us. And then to confess that Jesus is Lord. For in Romans 10 it says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And overall, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Through all these things, Romans 8:28 continues to come back to me at any point in there. We know that in all things work together for good to those who love God and are called to his purpose. And for so long when I was younger, I always thought, good didn't come out of this. I'm in a worse situation. That's where maturity as a believer comes into play. And just like Abraham, you've been through some stuff and you see God's hand in it all. And ultimately, even when you felt it was bad, when it happened, you look back now and you realize God may have steered you around something that you really did not need. Pastor Bruce comes up, I want to finish with a brief ending to my story. Like I said, I haven't revisited this much. But whenever I see a penny on the ground, it's more than a penny. It's a message. I keep picking them up. So I want to say to you, the next time you're walking alone and you see a penny on the ground, reach down, pick it up. Read that inscription on there then ask yourself, in whom do I place my trust?
church, can we stand up uh, together this morning as we close and and in our time with one another? Um, in a few moments, we're going to go back into a song, and I just encourage you to to again stretch yourself and maybe go the distance and th- and maybe this morning look and search, man. Second group is this. You, maybe you're relating more towards uh, the criminal that, that Rocky mentioned in, in the sense of, man, I, I don't really know this Jesus. Yeah, I know that he, he lived and he was an actual person, 
but I, I don't really know if he truly is God and if he is God's son and if he really did all those things that, that are in this thing called the Bible and I'm just, I'm not sure and, and I want to believe and I, I want to have this relationship, but I don't know and, and if that's you this morning, I wanna pray for you. I want, I want man, everything within me, I want you to, to have the opportunity to, to start a relationship with him this morning because he is real, what he did was done what he said what he spoke came to existence and he and he, and he lived this life this sinless life and then he died a death that we were deserving of only to to conquer death hell and the grave and to come back so that we could believe and trust and have a relationship with him and to live this eternal life once our time here on earth is done and so if that's you this morning if you're man if you're reaching out if you're feeling something just on your heart maybe your heart sank into your stomach I'm, I'm believing that's that's the holy spirit i'm believing that's the lord this morning and so if that's you on the count of three would you be so bold to shoot your hand up and say yes i want to accept jesus christ as my savior i want to follow him from this moment on one two three
that's okay that you didn't do that. But man, I wanna, I wanna see this thing through. I want, I'm telling you, God, when you link up with him, when you have this relationship with him, it drastically changes everything. Everything. It doesn't instantly, it doesn't instantly change everything, but it drastically changes everything. There's a difference. And I want you to understand that. You're going to leave through these doors, and yeah, your situation might be the same right now currently, but I'm telling you, when you link up with something greater than yourself, when you link up with a sustainable source, it changes everything. So church, can we do this together in unison? Repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning knowing that I have sinned, knowing that I have wronged, and I ask you, for forgiveness. Lord, take my heart, make it clean, make it new, make it whole. I believe that your son Jesus came to this earth, lived a sinless life, and died for my sins so that I could have an eternal life with you. Lord, I place my faith my trust in you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Can we rejoice this morning? Come on. Can we hand clap? I know there are some of you that you received the Lord this morning for the first time. And hey, I want to encourage you. I don't want to humiliate. I want to encourage you. And so um, I'm going to make myself available right here at the front of the altar. And so if that was you, come, come speak with me, talk with me. I want, man, I'm so excited. Um, This Christian life isn't meant to be done alone. Hello, look around. We are a church. This building is not the church. The people in the building are the church. Amen. And so we need to walk this thing out. This thing called life is so tough, yes? It's like the toughest thing I've ever done. It's just living. It's just breathing. Can we not come together as a unified unified body in Christ and be there for one another? And so if that is you this morning, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, man, I just want to talk with you. I want to get you on the right track, set you up to win. So let me say a prayer and we'll go and we'll release and we'll get out of here. We'll finish our 4th of July weekends. It'll be great. It'll be awesome. I love each and every one of you. So, dear Lord, as we leave, as we prepare to, to exit these doors and continue on our daily schedule for, for, for this Sunday, Lord Jesus, I just ask that you're with us. That this word, oh, my goodness, thank you so much, God, for this word that you put into our hearts, into our minds. Let this be a seed. Let this be like this mustard seed that you talk about that will, though small, will grow to, to, to just, man, have all these branches and just be so big that even, like, like can live and say, Lord, just let it be just something so amazing, Lord, that unravels in our lives, Lord Jesus, whether it's later this afternoon as we dwell and, and, and think about this more, maybe it's throughout this work week that's ahead of us as we go back in after this 4th of July uh, week, weekend celebration, Lord God, I just pray that you would be with us, continually guiding us, strengthening us, comforting us, Lord God, would you go before us, behind us, and all around us, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, church, be blessed. Have a great rest of your Sunday, and we'll see you back here next week.
Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.